uh, before we uh, launch into the homily, uh, two things. First, I'll ask you to pray for Father Dave Howell. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he helps Father Lay and I over at St. Mark, and he is very, very ill, um, and we want to keep him in our prayers. Last night, uh, when I was over at St. Mark, uh, we prayed the whole Mass for him, and uh, I would love for us to carry that in our hearts today. Uh, second, I know, I think I sound bad, I'm not sure, my sinuses are in complete meltdown, uh, but that's allergies, I'm fine, I just sound uh, bad, and my sister's here, so I blame her. Um, it's in the Bible. Uh, so uh, it's Good Shepherd Sunday, yeah, and I, I'm not sure why, but every year, the fourth week of Easter, the church asks us to really reflect on this image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And when, by the time I was born, my dad had basically given up his farm. Uh, but all around us were farms. And uh, next door, Mr. Keys, I worked for him a lot. And he got sheep one year. And I went over there and learned about how to take care of sheep. And I learned some things. First, there is no uh, scale. Uh, to articulate how stupid uh, sheep are. It, it is shocking. Um, I mean, it is genuinely shocking. How, how, like chickens look down on them. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and they have no natural defenses at all. We bred any defense out of them. Um, and, and coyotes look at them and think, well, that, that will be good. And uh, it's a problem. Yeah, because coyotes are smart. And, you know, you see, it uh, used to be they put dogs out there, but dogs can't kill a coyote. Uh, they lose that fight. And so all the strange things farmers did to try to figure out, in Michigan at least, how to protect sheep. And every farmer I knew gave up. Just, nope, it's not worth it. And then uh, in 2012, I moved down to Hudson, Michigan, and I covered a few parishes down there. And my first year, um, a lot of the farmers would come to me and ask me to bless their fields, bless their seed, all that kind of stuff. Well, one gal came up and said, will you bless my sheep? I'm like, well, hello, yes, uh, I have questions, yeah. So she said, well, just meet me out here. You know, we'll have the new sheep uh, should all be born by this time, and you can pray over them and bless them. And truly, my motives were, because she was telling me there's thousands of sheep, I want to know how she protected them. And this is a true story. I got out of my truck, and I walk up, and she's got a fenced-in area, which, again, coyotes find cute. It's not going to do anything. But, and I'm really looking when suddenly a llama comes charging out of the little barn and starts making this weird noise. It sounded like it was possessed, and it might have been. I don't know. I, the power of Christ compels you, you know. But, uh, and it, it spit at me like this green, nasty goo. And I, I just wasn't sure this was actually happening. It, it was a llama in Hudson, Michigan. And I found out Truly, this is a true story. That's what people in Michigan use. They kill coyotes. They protect sheep no matter what. And I asked her why. She said, I have no idea. I just know it works. Uh, I find dead coyotes every night and never find a dead sheep. 
And that has nothing to do with this homily. I'm serious. I just think that's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. Um, I think about that all the, when God was making llamas, right? Did he like program that in there? Like they'll protect sheep. You know, he, made a, he made one of those things, platypuses, so you can do anything. Uh, but anyway, uh, so sheep are defenseless. They really are, and it, it, they are profoundly dumb. Uh, they have one, well, of course, they have a couple, but their primary skill for defense is their ability and their desire, truly. They, they, they find the leader and they follow it, no matter what. And you can use that to your advantage. Um, when you shear a sheep, they hate it, but they're happy afterward, yeah? And so one of the things that happen is as soon as you start shearing a sheep, all the others go the opposite way. Uh, they're, they're, again, they get that. Um, so what do you do? Well, you get the leader, and you call him, and you put a little, this is nuts, but it works, you put a little stick about a foot off the ground, and the shepherd or farmer stands on the other side and calls him. He'll come running, just like a dog. Um, and then when it sees the stick, it jumps over it. And the rest of them line up right behind him. And then from then on, even though the stick's not there anymore, all the others jump at that same spot. Yeah? And they're so kind of fixated on that because it's hard for them uh, that they don't mind that their buddy is just 20 feet away complaining about the shearing process. They just want to do what the one in front of them did. And it's, it's amazing how that works. And, and when Jesus tells these people, you're the sheep, I'm the good shepherd, they know what he's saying. This was a culture where most people raised sheep. They knew what he was saying when he said the good shepherd, right? The sheep hear his voice and follow him. Um, and it seems to me that this is a really good opportunity for us to reflect on a couple primary questions. Yeah? One, why llamas? You know, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, now it's in your head and it's going to be there for a while. But no, question number one. Who or what leads me? What is out there or in here that if it calls, I come running? And the image I always think of is for many, many years, I, I was a smoker. And at some point, I didn't want to be a smoker anymore. But I didn't feel like I could shake it, huh? And I tried a lot of different things. Um, but what really got me was we were at a family gathering, and I went outside, you know, to have my cigarette, and my cousin Mark came out there. He's married to my cousin Becky, so I guess he's my cousin-in-law. Um, beautiful guy. And he had wrestled with some addictions in his life. And he said to me, did you want to leave? And I was like, no, you know, I didn't want to leave. We were having a great time in there. And he was like, yeah, but your master called, so you came running. And, and I hit him uh, out of love or something. <laughs> no, but all kidding aside, I, I, I was struck by that. He, he said, you know, to be honest, he says, I've known you for a long time. You, you've always been a little rebellious. And I can't believe how obedient you are to your craving for nicotine. It calls, you come running. And if it means you have to leave something happy, you leave something happy. 
And then he told me, he said, you realize that if you have 10,000 of those, it won't be enough. And that really started something in me, realizing, my gosh, I have a master, and that master is an inanimate object. That master orders me around, and I obey. Um, and I haven't, what is it, 20, I don't know, 2011, I think, since my last cigarette. And all of it started with that conversation. He goes, boy, your master calls and you come running. And he was bigger than me. But here's the thing. How much in our life has that power? What is it inside of us that if it calls, we set aside whatever we have to set aside? That's our master. And the, the second question for us then is, where is this taking me? Where is this taking me? Now, sometimes what we're following is external, yeah? Sometimes we attach ourselves to an ideology or sometimes we uh, attach ourselves to a, um, a way of living and we don't even really think about it anymore. We just do whatever it says. And, and that becomes all-consuming. And this, in the end, is the key that those two questions, I hope, reveal. Who... <coughs> Who or what is leading me and where is it taking me? Those are the questions. Who or what leads me and where is it taking me? For me, it's a chance to look at the futility of sin. Yeah, again, 10,000 cigarettes. If you would have gave them to me, I would have needed more eventually. There wasn't a point where cigarettes were done with me. There had to be a point where I was done with them. And it's the same with alcoholism. It's the same with any addiction. There's no point where we go, oh, that's great. I'm done. I've, I've had enough. And it translates in other ways, too. I, I, I don't know how familiar you are with, uh, and now his first name just went right out of my head, uh, Rockefeller. Was it John, the first one? Was it Rock? I don't know. We're going to pretend it is. He's dead. He doesn't care. Um, the richest man in the history of our country, and nobody's close. Yeah, if you add Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates, they still are not combined as rich as Rockefeller was. He controlled one-fifth of the GDP of the U.S. And when he was an old man who, who had more money than, than literally our banks knew what to do with, he would still spend time acquiring and crushing businesses. Yeah, he would pick out a business that he wanted and then he would go in and put a business next door and sell at a loss until they went out of business and then he had that. And he was asked, um, when, when are you done? What more do you need? And he said, I need more. That was what drove him. No sense of contentment. He wanted more. He was as rich as it's possible to be, and he wanted more, and he was proud of that. For us, what we got to recognize is that this is what Jesus says when if we want to follow, uh, follow the enemy, then know this. They have one goal, quote, to steal and slaughter and destroy. And what will we find with him? I came so you might have life and have it abundantly.
What or whose voice are we following and where is it taking us? Jesus wants us to follow his voice, big shock. And what we want to remember is that's where life is. And I've had a ton of experience with this and so have you. Yeah, Have you ever had one of those moments where the last thing you wanted to do, maybe it's go to church, maybe this morning, right? That whatever time you leave the house, you were fighting yourself the whole time. Maybe whatever it was, but once you got here, did you feel it? And when you walk away, you'll feel that inner reward of, I did the right thing. For priests, Monday, I, I just told you this, I think, two weeks ago. Almost every priest in the world takes Monday off, yeah? That's our weekend, is Monday. And when our last Mass is done, I'll drive out to my sister's house, and I'll sit there and sleep and read and eat things, and although healthy things now. Um, and that's, that's, that's heaven. Uh, that's, that's my rest, yeah? And on Monday, no alarm, right? No alarm. And, uh, and my favorite thing, by the way, I, I don't sleep, I don't know what's late anymore, but like if I get up at seven, my dad will be waiting and he'll go, well, good afternoon. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, my sister's nodding, yes. Uh, so here's the thing, and I hope this is okay to tell you, uh, I, I usually have to come back, right? I, I, I don't know, 50% of the time, there'll be a sick call, a person dying, and I need to get there. I'm, out of all of us here, about, what, 9,000 people that are a part of this parish family, Father and are the only two, right, who can provide those last rites. And it used to be I would complain a bit, yeah? I'd be in the truck driving to the hospital, one day, Lord, one day, you know? And I would often hear him, my mom's voice, say, oh, he was only on the cross three hours, whatever, Joe, you know? Like, you know. It's no big deal. And I tell you every time, and I mean this, my heart would be so full of love while I was doing it that I'd be there and know, Jesus, this is why you made me to be with this person as they die, to comfort the family. My, my reward was just in doing what was right. But I had this master that was like, well, you deserve some time. We all deserve, you deserve time and you don't get it. We wanna look at this because I think it's gotta be your experience too that when we cowboy up and do the right thing or don't do the wrong thing, we feel it. We might not feel happy, but we feel joyful and complete. That's where Jesus wants to take us. The enemy wants to take us to futility. 10,000 won't be enough. Jesus wants to take us to life and life abundantly. So that's our blessing and challenge, huh? Let's really chew on this together. Who or what is leading me? And where is it taking me? Jesus wants to lead you. And as you heard, I love that shepherd song. Jesus promises, I'm taking you to a good place. I'm taking you to where you were made to be. So let's let him lead us. And let's pray for the grace to follow. Amen.